here. Good music is part of your relationship with the Lord. And I will tell you there are a few things that will help you when you're struggling with life, when you're having difficulties more than just some good, godly music. And uh, so, uh, make sure. And it's uh, they have also the Glory Bound Quartet and Witness. And uh, this year, Hannah's on Witness. So, if you want to hear Hannah sing, you got to get the Witness CDs as well. All right? And so, uh, the rest of us, let's, uh, let's uh, go into our lesson tonight. We are in a series, Searching for the True Church. Uh, we've had... Uh, Every once in a while, I get a phone call from this guy uh, who used to uh, attend our church. And uh, he finally came to the conclusion that if once in a while he could come and listen to me preach, he couldn't be that far away from God. Well, he doesn't come anymore, so that kind of gives you an idea where he ended up. But he he called me, caught me at home, which doesn't happen very often anymore. And... uh, I'm sitting here going, yeah, yeah. Oh, he says, yeah. Well, we're. I'm actually teaching on that Thursday night. He said that's kind of political, isn't it? I said there's no politics involved, either right or you're wrong. Amen. Uh, that's not politics. Uh, we're what we're trying to do is just simply understand that when Jesus said, "I will build my church." He actually meant something when he uttered those words. And we're looking for the characteristics. That's why the first part of this lesson, uh, this series, uh, is what are we looking for? We're finishing tonight, Lord willing, if I get through my outline, uh, the, uh, the first part uh, of our Searching for the True Church series. And that's what are we looking for? What are those characteristics uh, we like to call them Baptist distinctives. Uh, what, what are they? Where do we find them? Of course, we find them in the Word of God. And uh, I just arranged them. Uh, uh, they're nothing special other than it spells the word Baptist. Uh, believers baptism, the authority of Scripture, the priesthood of the believer, two ordinances, two officers. Two officers and two ordinances along, according to my paper here. Independent local churches. And last Thursday night, we dealt with salvation by grace. And we're to our last T in the word Baptist. And uh, it's traceable historically to Christ. And, And simply, if Jesus did start the church, then there ought to be a link. Amen? And the best way I know how to describe this is in the words of Thomas Armitage. He was a Baptist preacher uh, in the Albany area in the 1880s. By the way, uh, Union Baptist Church was already uh, 40-some years old, almost 50 years old, when Thomas Armitage wrote his history of the Baptist. And uh, one of the first things we found entering the building, there was an old roll-top desk and we opened it up, and there was a first edition of Thomas Armitage, History of the Baptist. And I have that in my office. Uh, Brother Mike said I could keep that until they put up the displays and things in the, in the church building. And 
and uh, used to be a very valuable book. It's been reprinted uh, many times, but uh, in this would have been in the 1970s, I believe it was reprinted, uh, and uh, the man that reprinted it uh, spent over $800 to obtain one copy so that the book could be taken apart and used as the uh, basis to reprint the book. Now you can get it for 10 bucks on a books or anywhere else uh, because there's so many copies. But this is what Mr. Armitage said. He said, we do not look for a physical uh, line, unbroken line from church to church, from baptism to baptism, from ordination to ordination. He said, what we do is we trust that the waters on top of the mountain are pure and the spring in the valley is pure. If we try to dig up the spring and trace its origins up the mountain, the only thing we accomplish is corrupting the spring. Since it's pure at its beginning and it's pure at its end, we'll just trust in God that it's pure in between. Now, I like that illustration because the historical records just simply do not exist. Uh, I've read just about everything in print on that subject, and one of the best is a little book that we should have several copies of in our bookstore. If we don't, we'll get them. Is um, uh, The Church That Jesus Built by Roy Mason. Uh, 120 pages, very good, concise little book. Uh, Mr. Mason, Reverend Mason, traces the history of the church using only two distinctives salvation and baptism. And yet, as he traces the best that he possibly could, there are still some gaps in his history of over 800 years. You know, a lot can happen in 50 years, can't it? Let alone 800 years. And so, we're not dependent upon a physical connection. By the way, If someone has the last name Montoro, M-O-N-T-O-R-O, guess what? I'm related to them somehow. I mean, it it just works that way. Even if I don't know how we're related, but let me tell you, uh, I like what Brother Clayton used to say. He said, don't just pray God bless the Claytons. He said, there's some Claytons out there that don't need blessing, uh, that God won't bless. He said, you pray for Larry Clayton. And it's the same way with Montoro. Just because they're related doesn't mean they're good people. In fact, my brother, when he was in Chicago in Bible college, he said, I found some Montoros in the phone book, but they were in the wrong part of town. The kind where they carry their hands in their vest pockets all the time. He said, I never even went over to visit them. He said, I was afraid of what I might find. And listen, not everything... Just because you have a heritage doesn't prove that you're going to live up to it now, does it? That's the job of the individual. And so, what we are trying to do and what we will investigate, and let's just go back to Matthew chapter 16 for a few moments as we start tonight and lay the groundwork for the next several Uh, weeks of lessons as we 
look at the history as we uh, find out what we're actually looking for in history. Of course, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 15, Jesus asked them the question, But whom say ye that I am? The first question Jesus asked on that day was, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Jesus said, Who, what are they saying about me? Who do they think I am? And they began listing Moses and Isaiah and, and one of the prophets and Jeremiah. And, and that's a whole sermon in itself as you look at the characteristics of the people who they used to describe Jesus. But then Jesus got to the heart of the issue. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter spoke up. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Jesus made a statement that is so true. And still, and would dispel the greatest part of misunderstanding of this passage. He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You cannot believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God unless you believe God the Father first. You have to believe that there is a God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. For without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe, number one, that He is. And number two, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If you do not believe that God is and that God is good, you're never going to believe in Jesus Christ. Not going to happen. You're not going to understand the things of God unless you come to God and surrender to His Word. Amen? His words as printed in the Bible. And Peter makes this statement, and Jesus then says, I, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And of course, if you understand English correctly, uh, the best way to do that is put a little sign language in there. Jesus says, Behold, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Talking about himself. Read what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus is a rock. Read what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation. Read what Jesus said in Luke chapter 20 when he said, I am the rock that the builders have rejected. Read what the disciples said in Acts chapter 4 when they said that he is the stone that you builders are rejected and has been chosen as the chief cornerstone. Quoting the book of Psalms. You see, there's no honest inquiry Someone said, yes, it's the confession that Jesus is Christ. No, it's not the confession. It's the person. It is Jesus himself is the rock upon which the church is built. 
And then we look at His promises. He says, I will build my church. Now, this has always concerned me. I, uh, years ago, uh, as I was a young preacher, just, just getting started, we had this thing called the church growth movement. And my wife will probably still remember the uh, high blood pressure and the angst in my soul as I was working in another church. And they gave me this uh, set of lessons on church growth, and I was supposed to teach them. Oh, how I hated that book. You see, who's the builder of the church? Jesus is. So why do I get phone calls almost every week talking about how to build my church? It's, it's not my church, it's His. And you see, not a one of you that are in this room that are saved tonight got saved because of me. If you're saved tonight, you're saved because of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? You see, that's what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. You cannot become a member of Jesus' church until you meet Jesus first in a personal way and trust in him to save your soul eternally. This is what we mean by a regenerate church membership. Salvation by grace, you've got to get saved first. That's what we mean by believer's baptism. The issue of eternity is settled before you get wet. That doesn't work that way in almost everything that calls itself Christian. You see, this is one of the things that separates churches like ours from churches who claim to be like ours. If Jesus is the builder, then no one has the right to start their own church. Now, if you've been around here very long, how many of you already know by raise of hands that the church did not start on the day of Pentecost? If you know that, would you just lift up your hands? There we go. Uh, If you've been around here very long, you know that's true. Now, here is the importance of that point. Where was Jesus on the day of Pentecost? He was in heaven, wasn't he? He was not physically present. You say, why do you make such a big deal about that? Well, because Martin Luther did. And John Knox and John Calvin, and all of these Johnny-come-latelys who started their own church. Well, Jesus wasn't there on the day of Pentecost. Well, yeah. That was because he already started his church. It was already working. It already had distinctives and a set pattern. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6... The organization of that church would be complete in pastors and deacons as the only offices. The ordinances of that church had already been settled 
before Jesus went to the cross. The discipline and the way that church worked was already settled in Matthew chapter 18, just two chapters after chapter 16. You see, Jesus said, I will build my church. And we're not interested in a church member that Jesus hasn't built first. Because we're not going to help you. And you're not going to help us. That's why I despise. And I use that word in every sense of it. That's why I despise Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. Because the purpose of Rick Warren's book is you. The purpose of the local church is Jesus Christ. You could not be more hopelessly wrong, more diametrically opposed to the truth, than try to make the church a service organization to better the life of Christians. But it's like a story I like to tell of a preacher here in in New York City years ago when I was traveling with Brother Clayton. We were in a meeting in Woodhaven, Queens, and his car was stolen. He had a 70-something Oldsmobile. They're very easy to steal. And he came in the first night or second night of the meeting. He said, pray for me. He said, they stole my car. And so we prayed for Guy that God would bring his car back. And he came back in a couple days later. He said, they found my car. He said, I don't believe it. It works better now than when they stole it. They had to fix it. I love that story. Because that's who you and I are. See, when Jesus gets us, we're not in very good working shape, are we? You see, that's what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. It's Jesus that does the changing. It's Jesus that does the building. It's Jesus that does the saving. It's Jesus that does anything worth doing in your life. Do you know that's not taught in most churches? How many of you remember going to a church where they gave you a list of things you were supposed to do to make yourself better? Isn't that the way it worked? And if you didn't do yourself better, I mean, the Catholics, they've they've got a system. I mean, they got it worked out. You see, no matter how many times you fail... As long as you call the priest in before you die, you got a really good chance of making it to purgatory and solving all the problems that you didn't solve in this life. Now, you might be there a couple of thousand years, but at least you're getting out. Uh, sorry, that's not Bible. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Because that's what he meant when he said, I will build my church. How many could lift up a hand and say, Jesus has done a work in my life since I got saved and became a member of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Could you just lift a hand and say, Jesus has done some things in my life personally. You see, it's not me. I've had some people, oh, oh, I enjoy your preaching. Well, you're on the short list. Amen. But the 
truth of the matter is, it's not my preaching. It's the Bible. That's Jesus' book. That's what you ought to enjoy. Amen? Learning more because it is all about Jesus. There must be an organic relationship. How many of you know what I mean when I say organic? It is elementary. It is pertaining to the basic structure, just like the organs in your body. The, the physical relationship, the physical presence of Jesus in starting His church is a must. Uh, I don't necessarily enjoy it, but it's, it's funny to me to look at all the different explanations people give for the origin of the Baptist. Well, they began in England in the uh, early 1600s in, in response to the Church of England. Uh, but the same people were on the mainland of Europe 500 years before. And they were giving the Catholics problems. It was Zwingli who said that the Baptists have troubled the church for these last 1,300 years. Uh, that was in the early 1500s. He made that statement. Uh, that takes us back to the early 200s. You know what? It's not too hard to get from 250 A.D. to 33 A.D. But the Protestants can't do that. Because there weren't any Protestants before the 1500s. And by the way, all the Protestant leaders died baptized as babes in the Roman Catholic Church. Violating one of the distinctives of Jesus' church. You say, all those people were wrong? Well, let me ask you a question. Are they right? Mm -mm. Not according to the Bible. I've met preachers that would build the church whether Jesus was interested in it or not. They would build it on their personality. They would build it on their ability to control and organize and administrate. I'll tell you what we want. We want a church that Jesus is building. Because that's the promise in the Scriptures. It takes a little longer that way. And you know what? You have a higher dropout rate. Because... We're not going to pick you up. You've got to learn to let Jesus do that to you and for you. That's something nobody can teach you. It's something you have to learn directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? You see... People get all, and I know I've been over this so many times, and I hope you're not bored, but we'll, we'll just take it a minute here. Let's just get into verse 19. 
and, and, and touch on this. And it says, And I will give unto thee, talking to Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, how many of you understand that the entire priesthood of the Orthodox and uh, Roman Catholic churches are built on that verse? The papacy, uh, the Council of Cardinals, uh, the right of excommunication, all of those things are built on that one verse out of the Bible. How many of you have heard a joke about Peter standing at the pearly gates? I mean, it's, it's part of our culture. But is that what Jesus was saying? Absolutely not. The keys of the kingdom. The first gospel sermon to the Jew, Pentecost. How many of you have read Acts chapter 8 when Philip went down and was preaching to the Samaritans and said the Holy Ghost came not upon any of them. Why? Because Peter hadn't opened the door. Peter went up and John and they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Key. Doors open. Who preached the first sermon to the Gentiles? Acts chapter 10. Peter. If you're not a Jew, a half-Jew... Or a Gentile, guess what? You don't need to be saved because you're not a human being. Uh, you fit in one of those categories. And uh, Peter opened the door. The loosing and the binding. Just turn over a page or so in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. And Jesus here is explaining how the church should operate. And by the way, this is a good way of dealing with problems. In verse 15, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more than in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them... Tell it unto, what's that next word? Say it out loud. Where did the church come from? Well, Matthew chapter 16, that's where it came from. Amen. Jesus is instructing how the church is supposed to operate. And it says, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You see, that power of binding and loosing was not exclusively given to Peter. It was given to Peter as the pastor, a pastor in the church. It's something that happens in the church. And I could give you names, but I'm not going to of people who have come to this church and have gotten set free from sins and things that bound them. And I can give you names of people who have come and they've gotten their nose out of joint or whatever little idiom you would like to use there. Something got in the way. Something got them upset. 
and they went somewhere else. Guess what? I've had people say to me, you're just too too conservative. You're too narrow-minded. I like what a friend of mine said. He said, when I say that, I say thank you very much. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. I, I like being narrow-minded. Uh, I, I want to be that way. Because the Bible does not give me a lot of latitude to make my own decisions and make my own rules. We want the Bible to conform us to the image of Christ. Not to make the Bible more palatable to people that have not had the work of Christ in their hearts. We do not want someone who is on their way to hell to come in and sit in this service and be comfortable. We don't want Howard Stern saying, Hey, I like that music. That's pretty cool. We don't want him saying, That's the most horrible thing I ever heard in my life. Well... If that's Howard Stern, that that would be high praise now, wouldn't it? Uh, We don't want the world identifying with us, nor do we wish to identify with the world. We want to identify with Jesus because he's the one doing the work in our lives. He is the one that is building his church in this whole thing of the keys of the kingdom and the binding and loosing does not give one ounce of latitude to the priesthood, to the hierarchy of many other churches. You cannot find that in the Bible. You see, that's one of the distinctives that we know separates our church. And I'll tell you what, we, I had a lady was walking down the sidewalk today and uh, we put out a nice little sign there apologizing for all the noise and all the mess and all the things loading and unloading and blocking the sidewalk and said, be patient with us, we're trying to save the church here. And a lady walked by and read and said, I didn't see that yesterday. I said, that's because it wasn't there. Uh, Brother Mike put it up last night, Amen. And uh, she said, yeah, I said, we're, we're happy with what's going on here and, and, and begin to explain to her uh, a few things. Got a little witness in and uh, was able to explain that dozens and dozens of churches, there's a little placard on there, a little banner, Landmarks Conservancy. Well, they gave us $25,000 and we're thankful they haven't given it to us yet. I've got to send them lots of paperwork and receipts. and haven't had time to do that. That's after Brother Darren and Brother C.J. leave. I, I play paperwork again. But I told her, I said, we've had churches from corner to corner, from San Diego to Washington State, from Florida to Maine, give money to help us save this church. I said, that's where the real funding is coming, is from other Baptist churches all over this country who care about saving this building in Brooklyn and this church. Wow. And I said, Conservancy gave us 25000 We've raised almost 300 otherwise. 
You see who's interested? And not one district superintendent interceded for us. Not one corporate headquarters gave out the word. Everybody that gave did so of their own free will. Isn't that pretty cool? You see, that's the way Jesus' church works. We don't need organization. We need obedient Christians. And incredible things happen. Incredible cooperation happens between churches of like faith and like practice. And not one person reads us the riot act to straighten us all out and keep us straight. Because we've got something that keeps us straight. The Word of God. So, we move on. The promise of perpetuity. If you like peas. Uh, but Jesus said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the gates in, in those days, in a historical setting, where did David put his throne? He did not put it in the palace, he put it in the gate. What happened? What did Nebuchadnezzar's general do when the city of Jerusalem was conquered? Read your Bible. His general was sitting in the gate with the officers of the Babylonian army because they were proving that they were in charge of the city. So all of the forces of hell and all of the authority of the devil cannot prevail against Jesus' church. No person who has ever truly been biblically saved has ever lost their salvation. Because the devil doesn't have that kind of power. Aren't you glad about that? Say amen. And there has never been a time since Jesus uttered these words in Matthew chapter 16 that there has not been at least one independent local assembly of believers with Jesus as its head. There has always been. You say, can you prove that? No. I can't. But if I'm going to trust Jesus... Or you, guess what? You lose. I'll trust what Jesus said, that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And that that church will continue and has continued. And I believe that in the lessons to come as we go through here, uh, that, that we will prove beyond any honest shadow of a doubt that you can find Jesus' church operating in every century from the book of Acts all the way through. We're out of time. I'm only halfway through my outline. How many want to stay till 10? No, I won't do that to you. But, listen, these are the promises that Jesus had made. Next week we'll look at the history as recorded in the Bible. And then we're going to step out 
of the pages of the Bible into the pages of, the, of history, of recorded history, and see if we can't find these same distinctives that we're looking at repeated in history. And I believe that that's not going to be a hard job for us to do. Because we've done it before, amen? We'll do it again. But I also want us to look at these doctrines as they are taught by other groups and organizations that claim to be the Church of Jesus Christ. And you're going to find that even the ones that do teach how to be saved, they don't teach anything else. Getting saved is not the end of the Christian life. It's the beginning. That would be like me saying, you have a complete understanding of mathematics because you can add and subtract single-digit numbers. Uh, No, that's the basis. Now, Philip would love that. But... uh, He's had a problem with math. We're working on it. Next year's algebra. We're going to have fun. You know why? Because you can't have a good understanding of mathematics with not understanding algebra. And if that's insulting, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be that way. But if you want to understand math, mathematics as a subject, you've got to deal with algebra. You just have to. And if you don't want to, then don't claim to have an understanding of mathematics. And you'll be perfectly fine. You don't have to be a geek. Amen? But when we start talking about this Bible, don't tell me that the end goal is to get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. Because that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus building Not only your eternity, but your entire life between the time of salvation and eternity. Amen? Church is the place to grow in Christ. Not a place to try to be good enough to be accepted by Him. Because you had that the moment you took your first breath. For God so loved, what? The world. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would help us as we continue this series. To make it simple, to make it understandable. And yet, Lord, to deal with these profound truths. And yes, Lord, to call wrong, wrong and right, right that we may have an understanding of what truly is and what truly is not. That you would give us confidence in our relationship with you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you need to slip out and spend a moment at the altar while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you may. We won't be long tonight.